The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. I wanted to uh, talk this afternoon uh, about happiness. And um, I've named the talk Five Kinds of Happiness which is sort of an absurd title. No, it's not sort of an absurd title. It is an absurd title because, of course, there are infinite kinds of happiness. Um, I was inspired by uh, something I read quite a long time ago that Ayakima wrote. She wrote a, a chapter on uh, four kinds of happiness. And so I've added one and a half. And so it's really five and a half kinds of happiness. And in a way, it's a response to Linda's question this morning, where she was, you know, I think she was asking, you know, how, how do we know kind of where we are? You know, on Friday night, we were talking about needing to be able to diagnose the, the problem and have a sense of what the solutions might be for different, different kinds of problems. And, you know, how do we know where we are? And so if we think about, um, and I think she was talking about levels, and even levels is in a way kind of an a, a odd way of thinking about it, but if we think about different kinds of levels and we kind of know what level we're at when we're, when we're stuck or when we're caught in something, then um, it, it can be helpful to see what the, what the medicine is, what, what it is that's needed. And it's not like, um, even when we think about levels, it's not like there's a level that's bad or something like that. You know, like it's sort of like the levels of the ocean. It's not like the surface of the ocean is is a, is a is a bad level. It's just the surface of the ocean, and so that we know that when we're in the surface of the ocean, we need certain kinds of things, and we'll have certain kinds of experiences. And then when we're at deeper levels of the ocean will need other kinds of things and have other kinds of experiences. And um, if we try to live at just one level, we might find ourselves getting, getting in trouble in some ways. And so it's useful to know when we're in trouble, if we're using the tools of some other level, um, then it, it, it's useful to kind of know that so we can kind of change tools and, and, and kind of have a sense of how to navigate. And again, even though I'm talking about things like five kinds of happiness and levels, I'm using language and I'm kind of chopping things up that actually aren't really choppable. So we're just doing it as a way of trying to understand a little bit. Um, you know, the Dalai Lama says the purpose of life is to be happy. Well, awesome. But, you know, what does that mean for me here now, today? with this, and, and how do I work with it? Um, I love the image that you, you gave us yesterday, um, I think it was yesterday, seems like weeks ago, um, of the, the tool shop, you know, and um, all the different tools, and that the different tools are all useful, and are useful, but they're useful for different things. And so to be able to know um, what the tools are that we have available, and what they're useful for is, is a wonderful skill that takes practice. It took Amma a lot of practice to learn how to navigate all those, all those different tools. Um, so um, the, the Buddha also talked about um, 
the difference between, or he talked about mm, that to understand the teachings, it's helpful to understand them. It's helpful to have, you know, sort of a, a, a wise view, a wise understanding, a conceptual understanding. But that if we keep it at that level, if you will, and don't really reflect on our experience, and don't really reflect on the teachings, and furthermore, if we keep it at a conceptual level, and even if we reflect on it, if we don't bring it directly into our practice and into our direct experience, it's really not of all that much use to us. So even this Dharma talk, you know, we'll talk about stuff and it'll be really wonderfully interesting, of course. And, and um, it, it, it doesn't really help us all that much um, unless we're really reflecting on it and bringing it into our experience. And that was what was behind Amma's um, in, inquiry or invitation to us to say, you know, when we listen to a Dharma talk, don't take notes. It, it, it's it suggested that we don't take notes because that's sort of keeping it at that conceptual level. And so the invitation, and sometimes I use the heuristic of just saying, you know, maybe let about um, 20 or 30 percent of your attention be on the words, on what I'm saying conceptually, and really about 70 or 80 percent um, on uh, just what's touching you, you know. What's sort of lighting a, a, a light bulb or ringing a bell for you? And let the rest go. If you need to, you can always come back. We're recording it. I remember to turn the recorder on. You can always come back and, and you know, check in if there's something conceptually that you'd like to check in with. But the really important piece is in making these concepts real for us um, by reflecting personally and by really letting it drop into our own, into our own experience and into our own lives. Um, so really learning how to use the tools, not just by reading a book about tools um, and understanding conceptually what these tools are for, but really knowing um, how, how to use them in our own lives. So levels, five kinds of happiness, or find, uh, yes, five kinds of happiness. So at, at the kind of at the first level, we can think of sort of ordinary human goodness or happiness. Um, um, I've totally arbitrarily made up two divisions of this. Um, it's totally fabricated and made up, as are most things. Um, and one of the levels is the level of just being able to take in willing and able to take in ordinary sensory goodness. The goodness of a beautiful day. The goodness of the orchids. The goodness, I was in my garden the other morning and the first iris was blooming. It was just that green, green morning, you know, after the rain and it was so beautiful. A wood thrush was singing. Um, and the ability to, to simply be, receive that kind of goodness in our being, in our nervous system. Um, there are, of course, challenges to that. I noticed it even with the irises in that um, kind of 
subtly or sometimes not so subtly, there's a sense of, um, I wish I had more irises, you know? I should plant some yellow ones. You know that, that you know, or, you know, I have feta cheese on my salad, you know? I wish I had a little more. So we can kind of really not be able to really fully receive the goodness by that kind of pull. Or we can be, um, in, on the other side, you know, really um, thinking, well, you know, it's hard to really take it in because it's going to die pretty quick. These irises come and go pretty fast, you know. So it's true that there, there are challenges around the receiving of this sensory delight. But the invitation of our practice is to cultivate the capacity to simply receive it, to take it in and be nourished by it. It sounds simple. And uh, for some of us, it's easier than others. People who have experienced trauma, in particular, can find it extraordinarily difficult to take in sensory pleasure. You know? We can be um, vigilant uh, to the extent that, you know, sort of like even, even, um, even receiving sensory pleasure can actually oddly be sort of traumatic because it sort of lets our system know that it's okay to relax and our system knows, it has learned over a long period of time, that it is not okay to relax. And so the, the kind of conflict that that can engender can actually be quite profound for, for, for some people. Um, so some people get stuck on the greed, you know, I want more irises. Some people get stuck on the, you know, I can't enjoy it if it's going to leave. And some people can get stuck on sen with sensory pleasure and just the, the difficulty of relaxing the ordinary human vigilance enough to, to, to have some free attention, to even notice that there are irises that are beautiful, and to pause and really take it in. Tomorrow night, uh, when I do another guided meditation, I'll do a guided meditation on taking in that goodness. You know, we can practice cultivating the capacity to receive that goodness. And so we can notice if we have that kind of difficulty, which all of us do in one form or another, uh, um, that, you know, that, that we practice if we have a, a difficulty with greed, we have a difficulty with vigilance, we can sort of practice teaching the nervous system um, that it's okay to delight in the good, just the ordinary sensory goodness, the, the sights and the sounds and the physical sensations of this world. Um, a wholesome goodness. The Buddha realized the importance of this, this goodness. Um, you remember the story of, of Siddhartha before, just before his enlightenment, where he was almost dead from his ascetic practices, where he was trying really hard to navigate that greed and that 
you know, difficulty with impermanence by just shutting out, by not taking in goodness. And he realized that his body was, was getting to a place where he couldn't even think, you know, that he couldn't even be aware. Uh, that, and so Sujata offers him the bowl of milk rice, and he says, oh, I, I need to take this in, this goodness in. I need to take this in in order to nourish my body and mind, in order to be able to practice and to go further. Um, so he gives us this wonderful um, uh, image of, you know, take, I love the image of just receiving the, the milk rice, even though he, he, his, all of his teaching up until that point had been that that was unwholesome, that was not a wholesome thing to do. But he saw that it was wholesome, it was fine. Um, and the other thing about ordinary sensory goodness is that, as, you know, sometimes we need specialized tools. Amo was talking about healing, um, and, and of course we could, we could talk at length, at, you know, too much length about just the kind of psychological healing that sometimes we need in order to have a nervous system that's functioning well, uh, um, that has, you know, that our brain is, the different parts of our brain are kind of talking happily to each other and not fighting each other, and that our brain and our body, our, this brain and this brain, there's a brain here and a brain here, actually that's literally true. Um, we're, you know, they're talking about the second brain in our gut, so that these brains are, are working together so that we're not you know, fighting ourselves this way. Uh, Sometimes we can have um, difficulties relationally, um, you know, that are conditioned kinds of difficulties. Amma's referred to attachment difficulties or, you know, some just kind of integration problems that make the nervous system not functioning well. Um, if we've had relational traumas, um, that means that there's some um, challenge of integrating um, me and you. I can function okay as me, but when it comes out to me and you, I'm not doing so well. Uh, or it gets wider and wider. I can maybe do me and you, one you, but I really have a lot more trouble when there are multiple yous, you know, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a community or there's a tribe that I need to be able to integrate. And those can be conditioned kinds of problems, problems that we bumped into in our own development that um, need some kind of care, that need some help for us to be able to integrate all those different systems so that our nervous system is actually functioning, you know, the way Amma gets all this equipment to function well, you know, plugged in and it's, you know, tuned into the right channel and, it, you know, the volume, you know, that, that that it's like our nervous system needs to do the same thing. We need to be plugged in and different parts need to be plugged into each other. And so the ordinary happiness of having a system that is plugged in um, and a relational system that is plugged in and the goodness and the nourishment of that is all important at this first level. Um, and that sometimes it, we're trying to work, we're trying to solve a problem at this level by working at, say, mindfulness or concentration, 
and it doesn't work. And the key, the hint there is, and this is part of what Linda's question was, was getting at, how do you know? Well, the hint is, you know, I'm practicing and I'm practicing and I'm practicing and I'm practicing and nothing's happening with this particular issue. I think I was telling you this morning about practicing for really 35 years with a quality of anxiety in my practice that I couldn't figure out how to solve. Uh, and it was because I was trying to do it, at, use, use the wrong tool. I was trying to use one of those chisels. <laughs> screw that screwdriver, <laughs> screw that screw in, and it, and it just wasn't working. And I kept asking a question. I kept asking that question in my interviews, and people often didn't understand quite exactly what it was I was talking about because they were teaching at this level, and I'm talking at this level. Um, that, the pro that they're not understanding that the problem I'm having is a problem of, in my case, indeed, trauma. So they weren't understanding that that was a, a problem I was trying to solve. Um, so, you know, I'm finally catching on <laughs> to this. And um, so that, you know, we can kind of say, oh, okay. And there's no, there's no shame. There's no, there's no problem with it any more than there's a problem with saying it's a screw, folks. It's not a, what do you use a chisel for? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a screw. It needs a screwdriver. It's all. It's not like screws are bad and, you know, wood is good. It's just that that's, that's what's needed in order to bring the system more into integration. And it isn't like the system then gets an integration and now it's all set and everything's fine. Because, you know, as you well know, you can be chugging right along and feeling totally integrated and everything's fine and something happens and, you know, and now we've, you know, dropped several, you know, or, you know, come up several levels and something gets us reactive and we need to see, ah, I need to bring my nervous system back online in order to be able to navigate in this case, meditation practice, okay? So the first level. Um, the second level, this is one that I've added, is um, I call it the bliss of blamelessness. I think, that, uh, I think that's in the sutta someplace. And that is the level that has to do with what Amma's been talking about with respect to the precepts, with respect to wholesome behavior and wholesome living. And Amma has talked about this a bit, um, that sometimes we can um, expect um, either our psychological work or our time in nature or our spiritual practice, our meditation, our long retreats to compensate for the fact that we're doing things that aren't skillful. My favorite example, those of you at IMCC, I apologize, I've used this before, is years ago there was a, that TV series, The Sopranos. And it just used to completely crack me up that Tony Soprano was seeing a therapist. You know, he's trying to be happy when he's, he's out there murdering people and engaging in all kinds of sexual trafficking and cheating and killing and stealing and lying and doing all sorts of things. And he's seeing a therapist and he's trying to be happy. It's like, I'm sorry. The only thing that's going to happen there is your therapist is going to be able to buy a nice boat. You know, that's it. That's all. That's all that's going to happen. You know, you're not going to get happy if you keep behaving in those unskillful ways. It's just not going to happen. So the bliss of blamelessness, the you know, the capacity to to act without regret. 
and to correct ourselves. It isn't like, you know, okay, fine, you know, I never make a mistake. But to be able to kind of see, to use those precepts, and uh, Amma's taught us beautifully about that, to use those precepts as guides and to see, oops, hmm, you know, that wasn't so skillful. I'm beating myself up. It's a conditioned pattern. I've done it for the last, you know, 45 years. But I'm beating myself up, and it's really not helping anybody. Um, so can I regret that and work at changing the pattern? So the kind of happiness that is like, you know, oh, I, you know, I, I did that, I did that well, regardless of the outcome. You know, here was this challenging circumstance, and I really intended to speak well, and I did. Or I didn't, and let me. Um, that goes back to the concept and the reflection and the really bringing it into practice. You know. I didn't, and let me kind of reflect on what, what were the triggers there? What happened for me? Um, you know, what, what happened that I, I got so reactive? Can I, can I deconstruct that? Can I look at it? And then, you know, I got reactive, and then I didn't behave well. Um, and then I got into a big fight with my friend or my husband. Um, can I deconstruct it a little bit and see what was the trigger? Not, not even like blaming all the bad stuff that happened after that, because it does, you know, it's just if we're in that reactive mode, it's not so skillful. It's really the real question is, what was the trigger? What, what triggered me into, you know, some kind of reactive state so that I'm behaving badly? And how can I, how can I learn from it? You know? So our practice is a constant practice of trial and error and learning and investigating and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't. And it's different for each of us and it's different for each of us at each moment. And over time, we cultivate, we accumulate some skill and maybe we accumulate a little bit more skill at um, kind of even just identifying when, in either of these levels, when I'm out of balance, you know. When I'm, you know, my nervous system is wonky and I really just need I just, Sharon, honey, just go to bed, please. <laughs> you know, just go to bed. Just don't even think about it anymore. Don't say anything. Don't send that email. Just go to bed. Just go to bed. You're really tired. Go to bed. You know, my nervous system is out of whack. Um, or when I've, you know, when I've done something or need to kind of plan, you know, so that we can begin to see that and experiment and work with it and see what works and what helps. So the second level of, of happiness is really kind of knowing, having the ability um, to reflect when we want to do something, body, speech, mind, when something's arising in action or speech or our thinking, um, while we're doing something, while we're acting, while we're thinking, while we're speaking, and after we've acted, thought, or spoken, to look and see, how did that go? My friend Gary loves to say to us, um, so how's that working for you, you know? How's that working for you, that self-criticism, that harsh speech, that, 
you know, sending those emails and then dealing with the repercussions. I, I used to tell my therapy clients, you know, it's like, well, you know, you don't want to leave too many dead bodies because it's just a mess to clean them up. You know, you have to like, you have to go to court, you have to get a lawyer, you have to do all this stuff. Just don't do it, you know, it's just so, but sometimes, you know, so how's it, how's it working for you? How's it going? How many dead bodies are there around? And so we look and see, and we have a, we have a, a capacity to inquire, is this um, level of suffering, this level of unhappiness arising because I am insisting on doing something that is not skillful. I was talking to somebody one time um, who had a food allergy. And she just kept eating the food because she liked it. <laughs> you know, It's like, OK. But you have to know that it's not going to go well. You know, it's just you. It's just like you, I'm sorry. Just how it works. Um, so don't be surprised if it doesn't go well. Um, uh, interesting quote from Ram Das. Um, he says, as you further purify yourself, your impurities will seem grosser and larger. So the problems with the precepts will seem grosser and larger, you know, and you might be tempted to be even more critical of yourself. But he says that understand that it's not that you're getting more caught in the illusion, it's just that you're seeing it more clearly. That's good news. You know, we wish Tony Soprano would be a little less satisfied with his life, you know, and see, oh, I have some problems here, you know. So, so it's good news when we see these problems. Um, it gives us a place to work and a place of inquiry. The third kind of happiness um, uh, is the Brahma Viharas, the Ayakima outlines, the Brahma Viharas, the 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 mind trainings of loving kindness and compassion and sympathetic joy, joy in others' uh, well-being and goodness and equanimity, and training our minds to function in those ways. Um, and that's what we do when we do the heart practices. Huh? We, we, we practice in, in those ways. And what those practices are doing are helping us release some of the toxins in our minds, the toxins of hatred. Hatred never ceases by hatred, you know. It's not good for living beings. It just isn't, it's, it's, it's like Tony Soprano, you know. It's just not going to get us um, where we want to go if where we want to go is to have to deeper and deeper happiness and freedom from suffering. So the toxin of hatred, the toxin of greed, that greed that I have for more irises, you know, or the greed that I have for more, 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 whatever, more, 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 you know, or the delusion, the toxins that fill our minds and that keep us from seeing clearly just how life really works. Um, so the Brahma-viharas and practicing those, and you know the experience, don't you? Um, 
you've had enough experience with your meditation practice that you know that when you practice the, the loving kindness, um, you know, sometimes you practice, we practice loving kindness and we go, well, I just kind of fell asleep and, you know, I didn't really feel anything and it wasn't really all that helpful. Or we practice compassion and we go, yeah, okay, fine. But actually over time, we actually notice that there's a difference. It's like, where did that come from? Where it came from is your practice. And there isn't necessarily a one-to-one -one link. You know, if I practice for one minute, I get one minute more. Um, although, actually, I'm going to change that. There isn't a one-to-one -one link in the sense that, you know, I practice it now, and now I immediately see the result. It is actually true that if we practice it for one minute, it changes our brain. That is absolutely true. Everybody agrees. The Buddha says it, and neuroscientists agree. Um, so that even if you don't think it's happening, it's changing, it is. Helping you kind of, you know, flush out some of the toxins of greed and hatred and delusion that are just part of us, you know, part of this unenlightened human nature. So the third kind of happiness, the Brahma Viharas. Um, Alice in Wonderland says, if you, in, in, and Alice, who in, in Wonderland, says, if you continue to drink daily out of a bottle marked poison, it is bound to affect you sooner or later. You know? So these toxins that we drink out of, and we think, just a little bit of greed, you know, just a little bit of hatred. Yeah. So it's, it's an antidote to that kind of attitude and to that kind of, of um, trying to circumvent how life actually works. You know, you just drink a little poison. A little today, a little tomorrow. You know, because what happens when we do that is not only does it affect our whole biology, but it also affects how the brain works, you know. So either direction, do we want to have you know, practices that help the brain release its toxins, or are we trying to strengthen the toxins? You know? So our practice of the Brahma Viharas is aiming toward an, a, a, deeper, a deeper kind of happiness. Uh, that sometimes people in our ordinary lives don't, under, don't even understand. Tony Soprano probably doesn't understand because he hasn't connected with it the, um, the happiness of compassion, the tender heart. Somebody was talking about the loving-kindness practice last, last night, that, um, you know, that there was a, a lot of a sense of tenderness and release, a feeling of being cooked. And that um, some people may not even know that such a thing exists. Uh, that it's a level of happiness that may not yet be available. I mean, it is available, but they may not know it's available for some people. We know it's available, and we come here because we're committed to practicing with those skills. The fourth kind of happiness is the happiness of concentration. And that's that happiness uh, I was talking the other night about a post by the ocean, you know, 
that the happiness of having um, sort of a sturdy um, mind state that isn't kind of tossed and turned by the vicissitudes, I love that word, of life. Uh, the ups and downs, the pleasure, the pain, the praise, the, the blame, the uh, gain, the loss, the recognition, the lack of recognition, that we can you know, navigate those vicissitudes um, without being pushed around by them. There's a story that um, Tanisaro tells about one of his teachers, Ajahn Fuang, and, um, who was a Thai monk, and he um, apparently uh, in his tradition, um, when a monk go was, goes out into the forest at night to sit and rest and meditate, um, once they, the, 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 I guess the rule is, I'm not sure, the rule is that once they set up their tent, that's it for the night. They don't like fidget with it and change it around and... That's not your rule. It's okay. Um, but so it was. But it was. It was his rule. And so he he went out, and it was kind of a nice night. It was nice and clear, and it was warm and sunny, and it was all it was all groovy um, that day. And so he thought, well, this is kind of nice night. I think I'll just put my mosquito net up. Um, and so he strung his mosquito net uh, between, you know, put a rope between two trees, put the mosquito net down, and just settled down to kind of. I guess sit, I think he sat through the night. Um, and then um, a little while later, there was this ferocious storm that came up, but he had committed to not moving. Now, whatever we want to say about these rules, we'll ignore that part. Um, but, but that he, he decided that he wanted to continue his practice. And so, you know, the, so that he's, the storm is coming and it's blowing the, the mosquito net around and he's getting soaked and drenched and he's cold and, and it's really unpleasant. And he practiced with this kind of um, mantra that um, the body is wet, but the mind is not wet. You know, so he's practicing with this post by the ocean that no matter what happens, the mind is mine to manage. And so the happiness of being able to concentrate, also the, the concentration that enables us to kind of pierce through some of the obscurations and really kind of see what's going on. So the happiness of concentration that enables us to be with challenges. And we all know those challenges, don't we? You know, we know the challenges that come up when we, um, you know, have flies in the room or when, you know, we have an emotional state that arises um, and we are desperate to take it personally. Um, and, you know, it just, we just, we know those, we know those places. We all do. We all do. I know where I speak, you know. And so this, the capacity for concentration that enables us to really see what's happening and not be pulled into the surf, if you will, different metaphor, but pull, not be pulled into the storm and or not to be made entirely miserable because this difficult thing is happening. Um, 
I, some of you have heard the story, I was in a retreat one time in um, New Zealand, I was teaching a retreat, and um, there were, uh, the screens had all broken and there were approximately 7,000 flies in the room, <laughs> you know, I counted. Um, so that you would sit down and there were just a lot of flies. And you know how, you know, you know how it is with flies where you hope, I hope it goes and lands on Amma instead of me. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know that. And so, so there, was this, there was this fly that landed on me. And, and it was, um, you know, tickle, 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 tickle. And my concentration was pretty good, actually, because I'd been sitting for a while. Tickle, 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 tickle. Um, and at one point it bit me. Flies don't bite, but it bit me on the nose. And it was so interesting. There was a strong sensation, but it wasn't painful, even though it was a very strong sensation. Because the concentration at that particular miraculous moment was strong enough that, that I could simply see it and see how things arise and pass away directly in the moment-to-moment -moment experience. It was awesome. It was a wonderful experience. I have had the most affection for flies ever, seriously, seriously, ever since. I won't let my husband kill flies anymore. Um, so that, you know, that it, you know, I felt like that fly was my teacher. So this quality, the happiness of concentration, it wasn't a problem. It wasn't a problem. Um. And the fifth happiness is the happiness of mindfulness. The happiness of being able to see clearly and penetrate how things work in terms of the three characteristics of our, this human life, in terms of um, the reality of stress and dukkha and difficulty, the um, reality of impermanence, that it just is, the reality of you know, conditionality, causes and conditions. I'm not in charge. I am not in charge. I am not in charge. And unless we can really see that, not as just a concept, you know, I know I'm not in charge. Don't be ridiculous. Of course I know I'm not in charge. But I think I am, you know. <laughs> And so unless we can kind of reflect on it and really begin to see it in operation, we will continue to suffer by trying to fix things that are not fixable and are not mine to fix. We will try to make permanent what is not. We will try to control things that are not either controllable or at the very least under my personal control. And we will take it personally when there's stress and suffering. 
that there's something bad, there's something wrong with me, if really I were a good practitioner, this would not be happening. So unless we not only see that conceptually, but really bring that into our direct experience, we will suffer. So the happiness of a mindfulness that can see those three characteristics, see them functioning, not just theoretically, and not even just, yeah, yeah, I know the irises die, but deep in our own bones. Um, that's happiness. And that's the happiness. I mean, that's the, th those are the levels of happiness that the Buddha offers, that our practice offers. But if we try for the happiness of concentration and mindfulness with a nervous system that's wonky, and that's what Amma's been guiding us with so beautifully, it's not going to work because we're not, it's going to be like Siddhartha kind of sitting there, you know, dying of hunger. It's just not going to work. So we need to kind of be discerning. And sometimes it takes somebody else um, looking with us um, to, uh, to, to help us see what, you know, to diagnose it, if you will, to kind of help us see where's the difficulty. And very often what we, we're, where we're struggling is because we keep insisting on imposing a medicine at one level that is actually the wrong medicine. Because we haven't quite diagnosed the problem properly. Or maybe even giving the wrong medicine at a particular level. Um, but that, you know, to kind of see, okay, what's happening here Where's the suffering? So suffering becomes a wonderful cue for us. Um, something's off. Um, and, you know, what, what, what's, what's happening here? How do we unravel that? And what's needed? And the offering, what's, what's offering uh, to us uh, ultimately is the sense of, of spaciousness and um, freedom uh, that, um, that, that, our, that our whole practice offers. Awesome. Um, and so, but, but to, to do that, to, to be able to access that, to see that we're not separate, to see that uh, there is no division, to see that everything, 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 everything is indeed illuminated. To see that freedom isn't out there. It's right here. It's imminent. It's right here. To see that and to experience it directly is, is the promise of our practice. That's why we do all this hard work. Um, and, and we do it at all these different levels as we see what's needed here now. <laughs>